morning, everyone. It's a great joy to be with you. Uh, likewise, um, our family has been really looking forward to this trip, uh, breaking bread last night um, out under the canopy of heaven that God's created with dear brothers and sisters. It was a great joy. Uh, if you would, uh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. If you weren't here last evening, I uh, gave you the, the journey that I hope to take with you this week. I'm excited. This is a new series on the flesh. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at some fundamental doctrines and get a good foundation about what the flesh is. And then, God willing, tomorrow, we're going to take a look at how the flesh behaves, then things that the flesh doesn't like, um, what is God's program for dealing with the flesh? How can we have vict- victory over the flesh and its impulses that would be outside of God's will? And then lastly, what does it look like when uh, there's no hindrance? There's no cloud between us and our Savior. What does it look like uh, in a day-to-day walk with the Lord? How would, how would you know that there's, you're in perfect fellowship and communion with the Lord? How, what would that look like? So we want to start out uh, in this first session thinking about what the flesh is. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells the believers what they've been saved from. And I want to give you a very vivid picture here of where we were without Christ. He says this, And and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which... You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Father, we just ask you to bless your word to us. Uh, Lord, your word is precious. And we'd ask your spirit um, to have his way with us. Uh, Father, I want to articulate what you've given me. And uh, if there's something that shouldn't be said, Father, please disclose my mouth. We pray that the, the word of God would have a deep penetration, that the spirit of God would convict, reprove, encourage, whatever's needed, Lord. We want to be more Christ-like. We want to be more yielded and available for you. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. In recent years, Hollywood has kind of glamorized the idea of zombies. Um, But in this first three verses of chapter 2, this is how I kind of picture. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Um, We were following uh, the devil right into the lake of fire. Uh, We were like a bunch of walking zombies through this earth. And we were going along the course of the world. The picture I have is like this drum major out in front directing the way. And we got the zombie band following the the drum major. The drum major is the devil who's leading us into the lake of fire. He wants to keep us in that that, um, stupor that we don't realize that there's an eternity. And so here you have the zombies following these walking dead people. And they're lascivious, they're acting all kinds of ways that are carnal, stealing, killing, murdering. And then you have the big drums at the back beating, you know, keeping everybody in step, so to speak, as this motley crew makes its way behind the drum major. Uh, the, the drum beats of world tradition, 
the rudiments of the world, all those things that Satan would have us to really grip hold of. And so that, if, you, um, if you're a child of God, it's important you understand that's where you once were as a child of the devil. Today, there are only two groups of people on the planet. Saints and ain'ts. That's it, right? Children of God that have been justified in Christ and children of the devil, children of wrath destined to the lake of fire. Only two groups of people. And so here we were in this motley crew, walking zombies, following the devil right into the lake of fire. We didn't even know it listening to the drumbeats of the world traditions and philosophies and so forth, caught up in the sway of it, and we were, we were dead in trespasses of sin, and we were headed towards eternal death. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's talking to the, the Corinthians, and he says, listen, when you become a believer, you're set at a heavenly table, and there, everything that you need for daily life is there for you. Every satisfaction that we need is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we need to please him day by day. And so he says, how dare you leave that privileged position, that table, that spiritual table where we have all blessings in heavenly places, and then drift back into the world and eat at the table of demons. All right? In other words, it would be so inappropriate for somebody that was in the zombie band walking along and then hearing the gospel, having a work of God in their heart, uh, the Holy Spirit regenerates, puts them in the body of Christ, and now we are a child of God separated from those things. Why would we ever want to go back and walk with the zombies, right? As Nate mentioned, we're pilgrims and strangers here. Pilgrims belong where they're going. Strangers don't belong where they're at. We are ambassadors for Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, now turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, just four simple points as we contemplate what the flesh is. But that's the vivid picture that we start with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As Paul closes his epistle uh, to the church at Thessalonica, his first epistle, he says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, not partially, but sanctify you completely, that you may, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And then he mentions three parts. Now, usually when we talk about ourselves, we say body, soul, and spirit. The body is flesh conscious. Um, when God uh, scooped up a bunch of dirt and he breathed the spirit into Adam, Adam stood up a living soul. And all the mechanisms that, uh, that were needed to keep the body healthy, God put in place. There was an order. Uh, when we get hungry, we, we want to eat, right? And uh, when we get tired, we want to sleep. When we get thirsty, we want to drink. There's a these desires for uh, procreation and so forth. God put that all in the mechanics of the flesh. But then there was a problem. Our first parents sinned. And when Adam disobeyed the Lord, that conscience that God had in there, that like a software program that uh, was monitoring his, his actions went off. The alarm bells rang. And they became uncomfortable. Our first parents became uncomfortable with each other 
and they became uncomfortable with God, and they hid, and that's what sin does. It makes us hide. We hide from God, makes us hide from each other. And so the body, in the, initially, uh, we read in Ecclesiastes 7.29 that God made Adam upright and innocent. Um, he was, had the capacity to choose wrong, and it was important that he had that capacity because love, if it doesn't have a choice, can't be proven. I've had people say, well, why didn't God just make Adam robotic? Well, if I said to my little four-year-old granddaughter, Eden, Eden, I want you to come and tell Papa at nine in the morning, at noon, and at three in the afternoon that you love Papa. Will you do that? Mm-hmm. And she comes in. Nine, Papa, I love you. Noon, Papa, I love you. Three, Papa, I love you. Isn't that precious? No, that's robotics, right? She isn't choosing to do that. And God didn't want to make us robotic. He wanted uh, to create creatures that had this choice of, of proving their love to him. But given the choice, he knew that we would choose wrong. So when we're thinking about body, soul, and spirit, that's the way we perceive things. We, we start at what's most important for us. That's the, the sensual needs, the temporal needs, the things that give uh, immediate satisfaction, soul and spirit. The body is flesh conscious. The soul is self-conscious. If you look around here, you won't find anybody in this audience like you. And some of you are probably saying, praise the Lord, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. Each one of us is a unique creation of God, knitted in the wombs of our mother, Intricately, God knew us. He knows our thoughts afar off. Uh, he knows the beginning from the end. And so each one of us are a very unique creation that God wants to have a relationship with. So the soul is where our mind is. That's where the intellect's at. That's where our emotions are at. It's probably where the will is at. And uh, then we have a spirit, that's God-conscious. So the body is flesh-conscious, the soul self-conscious. And then we have a spirit, and that's God-conscious. That's God's calling card within us. It's at the deepest level of who we are. It allows us, when we look up at night, we just, before we came to Christ, we know there's someone out there, um, right? We just have this sense of of a need that's not filled, and that comes from our spirit. But notice this, and this is really the first point. God wants to sanctify every part of you. Every part of you. Spirit, soul, and body. What God redeems, he sanctifies. We see it all through the Old Testament. And uh, we're told in 1 Peter 1 that, that we have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. Worth more than anything else in the universe. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit and you are his body and spirit. You've been brought with a great ransom. God has taken up in a dwelling place within us. We're his temple. And so the first point when we're thinking about what the flesh is, is yes, it was created in a way that would honor God, but because of sin, their corruption came in. And now the flesh... Um, has its own agenda. It has its own things that it wants to do. And that's why in the flesh itself, there is nothing that can please God. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So now Romans chapter 7, 
and uh, we'll just stay here for the rest of our time together. Most of my ministry will be out of the Old Testament. I want to show you a lot of pictures and types of the flesh and what God was teaching us back in the Old Testament, that now in the light of New Testament truth, we can see what it is. So first point, God wants to completely sanctify you. Nate made the point that you need surrender in order to be faithful. Well, until we're sanctified, we're not a fit vessel for God's use. And again, it's yielding. The whole secret to the Christian experience and experiencing God is yielding and surrendering. Right? In John 14, 15, God says, Lord Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then in verse 21, he adds this, and my Father will manifest his love to you, and I will manifest myself to you. And so the Christian experience is this. We have this truth revealed to us. God's a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force us. But when we surrender and yield to that truth, God says, that pleases me. Let me reveal more of myself to you. And, and then when we step into that, we say, God, I want you. I want to yield to that. I'm, I'm going to surrender to that. God says, that pleases me. Let me show more of myself to you. And so he draws us in into that deeper and deeper, the secret place of Almighty God. The place that in heaven, when John talks about Revelation, in Revelation 4, he talks about that scene in heaven where you have this, this throne and the lights of jasper and ember and sardis are emanating from the throne. You have that circular rainbow around the throne. You have lightning and thunder and so forth. And the 24 thrones around uh, the central throne of God's throne. And then there's this sea of glass that not even a ripple is on it. Why? Because in God's presence, there's perfect peace. And when we can put our minds on him, we enjoy that peace. And so we're just drawn in through obedience. Now, in Romans chapter 7, Paul has just been talking about the law. The law was showing us sin. It had a judicial penalty which uh, caused condemnation. But in Christ, once we're bound to him, we've been liberated from the judicial penalty of the law. And Paul seems to maybe think that some would question whether Paul was being critical about the law. And so he picks up in verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me a manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And so Paul says, no, the law is not, not sinful. The law represents God's holy character. It's righteous. God's law, God's word reflects his character. But Paul says, uh, if I had not known the law, I would have known coveting was a sin. By the way, this is an I, me, and myself chapter 41 times in this chapter. Paul's just being real personal with us. He says, I, I learned from God's law that coveting was a sin. But that didn't help at all. Because once I learned that coveting was a sin, I just wanted to do it more and more. I was uh, flying through Detroit two weeks ago, and I landed in Concourse A. I had to go to Concourse C, so I took the overhead tram. And so you walk up the steps, and there's these glass doors there, and then uh, when the tram comes, the doors open. There's a big sign on the, on the glass doors that says, 
Don't touch the glass. You would not believe the handprints all over that glass, right? That, that's the way it is. That's what we like. Uh, wet paint, don't touch. What do we want to do? We want to touch it. That's our fallen nature. We want to rebel. We want to satisfy that curiosity beyond what God wants. And it gets us into trouble. And so Paul says, I would have known coveting was a sin except by the law. The law showed me that coveting was a sin. Um, the law shows us that bearing false witness, um, stealing, so forth, is against God's law. And so um, Paul says, it was like I was a sleeping dog. You know that, that old expression, don't wake the sleeping dog? Well, Paul was like the sleeping dog. The law woke him up, but now his state's worse than before. Because now he knows it's sin, and he just wants to do it more, and the law gives him no help to do the things he knows will please the Lord. And so the second point is, uh, the law is good. It shows us our sin. It shows us what the flesh really is. The flesh opposes the things of God. Uh, We had a Bible study um, earlier this year. We had two older ladies from Ottawa that came. They were unsaved. Uh, well, actually, one was visiting uh, with her sister from Ottawa and um, unsaved, and we were talking about sin and its repercussions. And the fact Romans 5.12 tells us that through Adam's sin, death came upon all men, death passed upon all men. Uh, John 3.18, if you believe on the Son, you have everlasting life. If you believe not, you're condemned already because you've not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And they could not grasps the point that we were born condemned. She says, you tell me the little baby's born condemned? I said, yeah, they're just cute little sinners. That's it. But they're born condemned. Uh, The judgment came on Adam. All that came from Adam is broken. It's like taking a cake pan turnover and punching the bottom of it, putting a big dent in it. Every cake that you bake uh, from that, that can or that pan is going to have a dent in it. And we're all born dent. Uh, if you have children, you know that you did not have to teach them how to sin, right? We have four kids. We didn't have to teach any of them how to sin. The, the whole trouble is, uh, the work is to try to teach them not to sin, right? Uh, what sin is. So the first point, God wants you completely sanctified. Second point, the law is good. It shows us our sin, The third point is that we are born condemned. Verse 13, he says, Has in in what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Paul knew what he was. The law showed him what he really was. And before we can ever get started with the Lord, We have to understand who we are before God. Born condemned. Um, In our flesh, that we inherit, this nature that we inherited from Adam, there's nothing in our flesh that can please God. Now Isaiah even says, our sum total works of the flesh are filthy righteousness to God. And you say, wait a minute. Are you telling me that an unregenerate person can't do any good things that would please God? No. And this is the reason. It's not that an unregenerate person can't do a good deed from our perspective. For example, 
maybe a husband is saying, I'm going to um, be a good father and provide for my family and work hard. And we'd say, boy, that's an admirable quality for a father and dad to have. But you don't know what his motives are. He may be thinking, I'm just doing this to look good to the neighbors. I'm just doing this so my kids will take care of me when I'm older. Uh, maybe a young man, he sees an elderly lady at the street corner. He says, uh, I'm going to help her across the street. So he goes over, lends an arm, he walks the elderly lady across the street. And we look on that and we say, boy, that's a good deed. Yeah, right? That's a good one. And, um, but you don't know what he's thinking. See, you don't see his heart. You don't see the flesh at work. If he's saying, wow, I sure hope a bunch of people see me escort this lady across the street. See, that's not, that is not reflecting Christ. Um, God, I am convinced that God is not so concerned about the works that we do as much as he is as showing Christ in the works, right? If we're just doing something and not reflecting the character of Christ, we're causing more damage than good. That's where the flesh gets in. But once the flesh is out of the way and the Spirit of God moves through the believer and we're these consecrated vessels, that's when the character of Christ is shown to a lost world that desperately needs to see him. So, Maybe that young man, he's thinking, I'll get a tip when I get across the street, right? See, that's what the flesh does. It ruins everything. It taints it. Even things that we would say would be good. God wants you completely sanctified. The law is good. It shows us our sin. Um, we are born condemned with this inherited nature that opposes the things of God. Then uh, he goes on. And maybe you can relate to this. Now, I know it's a little wordy, uh, but he goes on and he says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will do, that I do not practice, but uh, what I hate, I do. And then he says in verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I would will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, if you have a pen, I'm going to help you with this. This, this will make this last part of the, the passage a little bit more clear. I'm going to have you write a one and a two as we go through this. Okay? So when he gets to verse 21, he says, I find then a law, and just put a one by that. This is the law of sin and his members. I find then a law that the evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, put a two by that law, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So in verse 23, but I see another law, put a one there. Warring against the law of my mind, put a two there. Captivity to the law of sin, that's a one. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. That's a two but with the flesh, law of sin. 
And so what Paul is saying is there's this warring going on within him. And uh, he, ha- he has this law within his members that wants its own way. It opposes the things of God. But then the law of God is revealed to him and what his mind understands of that, th- this is what he knows he should do, but the flesh says, do this. And he says, in my natural state, I don't find any help to follow what I know God wants me to do, my flesh wins out. And it was an ongoing struggle. Now, some commentators will argue whether this is Paul's um, before salvation or after salvation, before he was born again or not. Certainly the first part of the text uh, where he understands coveting was a sin. The law showed a sin. That was pre-conversion. But um, in this latter part, I don't think it really matters. I believe it's probably post-salvation. But here's the point. In the flesh, it doesn't matter if you're unregenerate or you're a believer in the flesh. The flesh, what we inherited from Adam, can't please the Lord. You can't put sugarcoating, frosting over it. There's nothing in it that pleases the Lord. So it really doesn't matter. In the flesh itself, we can't please the Lord. Um, And that's really the fourth point. The flesh nature from Adam. It's hostile to the things of God and it can't please the Lord. Now, there's good news. Amen? There's good news. And you you get the the sense of this. this Paul's struggling and toiling with this war, ongoing war. And he says, oh, wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, if you're born again in Christ, and this is why I just want to wrap up our first study with, and again, this is just fundamental stuff for the rest of the week. I want to wrap up our, our study this morning by giving you a glimpse of how the Lord Jesus sees you in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, be honest. Anybody been in the flesh this week? Five hands. Okay. <laughs> no, if we're honest, we've all been in the flesh, right? When you are in the flesh, you're following the impulses of the flesh, you're, you're following that inherited nature from Adam, you cannot please the Lord, period. Right? You can't please the Lord. Now, that is practice. That is a practical truth. Now look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So verse 9 is not a practical truth, that's a positional truth. When, When you take sides with God against yourself and say, God, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I receive your free gift of salvation, and, and you're regenerated, that's when you can start your journey with God. Before that, nothing matters. The flesh can't do anything to please the Lord. Then the believer, if we choose to operate in the flesh, we still can't please the Lord. But this is a beautiful truth in verse 9. God doesn't see us that way anymore. Isn't that great? When he looks down from heaven, he sees his son. He sees us in his son. And if you go through the identification truths that Paul often um, elaborates on, Ephesians chapter 2, 
um, Romans chapter 6, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. For example, Romans 6, when you see we with Christ or with Christ Jesus, that's identification truth. If you're born again 2,000 years ago, God saw you crucified with his son on the cross. Co-crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6. He saw you die with his son. He saw you buried with his son. He saw you made alive with his son. He saw you raised up with his son. Ephesians 2.16 says he sees you seated in heavenly places with his son. That's our heavenly citizenship. And so if we can get this this high view, this heavenly view of who we are in Christ, the stuff down here becomes really temporal, right? Okay, so it doesn't end there. Then Romans chapter 8, he says, we're going to co-inherit all things with Christ. And then in uh, chapter 8, like verses um, 30, 31, uh, those that he justifies, he sanctifies, those he sanctifies, he glorified. Those he sanctified... Those he justified, he sanctified. Those he sanctified, he glorified. You guys are a bunch of fine-looking saints. But there is not anyone in this audience that's glorified. Amen? Nobody in this audience is glorified, reflecting a Christ-likeness in the beauty, the glory of the Lord. But from God's perspective, it's a done deal. Where's Christ today? He's in the right hand of majesty on high. He's glorified. We in him have been glorified. That's the way God sees us. Um, And we're going to co-inherit all things with him. If you can see who you are in Christ and all that God has done in him, you'll never doubt your salvation again. I had a a brother um, a few years ago said, I don't think I'm saved anymore. Usually that's a sin question. Um, And... uh, so we dealt with that, and uh, there, sure enough, there was a sin. Another brother said, well, I'm not sure that I can be saved forever in Christ. And I said, well, right now, are you a saint or an ain't? He says, I'm a saint. I said, you're born again. He says, yeah. I said, I'm really glad to hear that, right? And uh, I said, when's Christ going to die again? He's not. I said, that's right. So if you could lose your salvation, you're lost forever, because he's not dying again, and you already die with him once. And so that's the heavenly perspective. So I just want to close in encouraging you. Uh, yes, the, the flesh, um, there's nothing in it that can please the Lord. And when the believer's in the flesh, there's nothing in it that pleases the Lord. But when the flesh can be mortified, we're going to learn about these things through the week. And, the, and God infuses us with his power and his passion. And we get to reflect the Savior and his character that's what it's all about. And then you'll want to surrender. Then you'll want to be a servant. You'll want to be faithful. It's, it's only the Spirit of God that can bring those things into us. So God completely wants to sanctify you, not just partially. He wants every aspect of your being that he has redeemed. It's, you're his. He wants to sanctify you. Um, the law is good. It shows us our sin. We are born condemned. We are born with this, inna- this inherent nature that that opposes the things of God. We read that in Galatians chapter 5, I think it's verse 17, the spirit of God and the flesh are just like this, constantly warring. And so we have these two natures. 
But the good news is, we'll get in Romans 8 a little bit later, through the Spirit of God, we can have victory over the flesh. So then the fourth point was, the flesh nature from Adam cannot please God. There's just nothing within us naturally that can please the Lord. But if you know Christ as Savior, God does not look at you anymore as being in the flesh. He sees you in his Son. And his Son is in heavenly places, the delight of the Father. And that's where we have such a privileged position of seeing Almighty God from the perspective of the right hand of majesty on high. Father, we just want to thank you for loving us. We want to thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us who we are before you. Thank you for showing us how awesome you are and the provision of salvation that you give us. Lord, we don't want to operate in the flesh. We, we understand there's just nothing in it that is positive and that can bring you glory. And so we pray that as we yield, as we surrender, that as we uh, understand the spiritual life is just yielding, surrendering, being a conduit of your blessing, seeing your, your wonder, uh, just as um, a vessel, we just pray that we would be like that. Lord, we have a wonderful day before us. As our brothers reminded us, uh, we're going to have a lot of opportunities in the ordinary to, to reflect you. We pray that we might uh, not reflect the flesh in its impulses, but we might reflect the divine creator and the love that you so evidently want to shed abroad and for all people to know your son. Help us in these things, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.